Uh, my name is Steve Lombardo, one of the pastors at Village Bible Church, and uh, it's my joy and honor and privilege to be with you here this morning. Uh, at all of our campuses this summer, we're um, going around, the, the preaching team is uh, taking turns at different locations. And so uh, I'm not here uh, very often, but when I am, I just want to say that I am uh, continually amazed at the work that God is doing here in your church. And it's our church, it's the Lord Jesus Church. Um, two weeks ago, I got to be out in Shavana at Indian Creek Campus. Last week, I preached in Sugar Grove, and this week here. Now, there's big differences uh, uh, across all those different campuses, but there's the same Lord Jesus Christ. So whether you're out in Indian Creek, Jesus is there. Whether you're in Sugar Grove this morning, Jesus is at work there. And you're here, the Lord Jesus is at work, and he's changing people's lives. What a great and glorious thing to be a part of. We get to be a part of God's work in the world. God uh, has chosen that the way that he works in this world is through his people, through the church, through you. And uh, what a privilege and an honor it is to be here this morning. I'm just going to pray once again before we uh, go to the word this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you praise and thanks. We thank you uh, for the little baby that was just born, Marcus, Lord, and for Trudy doing well and, and for watching over them, Lord, we thank you and commit them in, to your care and keeping. Lord, we thank you for this time that we can open your word, and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be our teacher this morning, and I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. The story is told of a London pastor who on a Monday morning got on to the trolley to go back uh, to his church. He got on the trolley and he gave his money to the conductor. The conductor gave him back his change and he went and sat down. Well, he looked in his hand and he saw the change that he had received back and he realized that he had gotten too much change back. And he thought, whoa, too much money here. I need to give this back. But then he began to think about it a little bit deeper. He said, you know what? Isn't that just like the Lord? He knew that things were tight this week for our family, and he's provided a little extra here. And maybe even I can go out to lunch today. But then he started feeling convicted about it. The Holy Spirit started to work on him, and he began to come back to the truth that he knew already that he should return the money that was given to him and so he stopped to get out and to be let out, and he turned to the conductor, and he said, you know, when I got on, you made a mistake. You gave me too much money in return. And he started to give back the money to the conductor. The conductor said, no, I didn't make a mistake. Yesterday I was at your church, and I heard your message about honesty, and I wanted to test you. People are watching. Christian, people are watching your every move whether it's your kids or your grandkids or your neighbors, your friends, your enemies, they're watching you and they're watching how you forgive or how you do not forgive. The passage that was read to us that we're going to look at this morning in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus gives us a hard teaching when it comes to forgiveness. And so I want to challenge you at the outset 
to think about not only the forgiveness that you receive from God, glory to God that he gives forgiveness, he is rich and merciful, his loving kindness endures forever, but also what forgiveness do you give to others? The title of the message is Forgiveness, the Oil of Relationships. Oil is to engines what forgiveness is to relationships. Oil in in an engine prevents all of the different metal pieces from grinding each other to pieces. Oil also um, takes the heat away from the combustion chamber in, in an engine. Forgiveness in a relationship prevents us from grinding one another to pieces. Forgiveness takes the heat, it takes the heat away from those potentially disastrous situations we find ourselves in in personal relationships with one another. Whether it's in the church or outside of the church, forgiveness is the oil of relationships. Following the fall of apartheid in South America, the government held what was called truth and reconciliation hearings. At these hearings, there were judges who were gathered, and they were gathered to hear the stories, the horrendous stories, of people's crimes during the Civil War. One of these hearings, at one of these hearings, one of the men that stood up to confess his crimes was a soldier, a white man, who confessed his crime of brutally torturing and burning a man alive before his family. This man's wife, the man who had died, the wife was there at the hearing, sitting before the tribunal, listening to this soldier's account of the terrible evil that he had done to this family. Not only that, the man then, the soldier, came back a month later and took the only remaining family member from this woman, her son, and burned him alive before her very eyes. This man confessed his sins. The judges at the hearing turned to the woman and gave her an opportunity. What should be done to this man? This woman had three requests. The first request was that he was to take her to the site of the murders so that she could collect some dirt and ashes for proper burial. Her second request was that this soldier would become her family, that he would come to her house every two weeks, that he would allow her to cook and clean for him and to bake him and cook him a meal so that any of the love that she had remaining wouldn't be wasted because she had no one else in her life, but she would pour out her love on that soldier. And her third request was that this man would accept her full forgiveness starting with a powerful and emotional hug right in the hearing. That's forgiveness. Forgiveness. Here in the Lord's Prayer, we read the words of Jesus, and there are a lot to chew on. But we're going to focus on the forgiveness aspect that we find in verse 12, and then also in verse 14 and 15. You see it there? Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
Verse 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. This is part of what we call the Lord's Prayer. The early church would would take this prayer, and uh, we know that they would recite it three times a day. That's what uh, one of the early church documents says that should be done with this prayer. And so we pray this prayer even some of us in different denomination church, every single time that they gather, they would pray this prayer. Jesus starts out in chapter 6, verses 5 and following, speaking out how to not pray. Don't pray like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray, and everybody look at them in the synagogues and, and, and to do everything for a public show. Don't be like that, Jesus says. And don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. They think that God's going to hear them for their many words. And so I'm going to pray this long and flowery prayer, and by the end of the prayer I will have convinced God Almighty to do as he's told by me. That's not how you pray. Jesus says, no, pray like this. And he begins to pray a prayer that we can pray, but also a model for us as to how to pray. That God would take care of our provisions after we, of course, start by glorifying him above all things, that his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven Provide for us, please, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Then it's almost as if God knew the hardest part of that prayer was going to be the forgiveness part. And so he gets to verse 14, and he says, he explains on it a little bit deeper. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't, he won't forgive you. Now, this is hard because we believe that God forgives us of our sin free from our doings, our actions, or our good works. God doesn't see us and reward us according to our good works or our lack thereof. When you die, you don't stand before God and he doesn't say, okay, does the good outweigh the bad? No, he he looks at our lives and he sees if we have uh, repented and we've turned to Christ that Jesus Christ has forgiven us of all of our sins and that we would trust in Him and believe in Him, we would be forgiven. And so God would see us as we stand before the Lord. He wouldn't see us as our sinful selves, but rather He would see Christ's own righteousness in us and that our sin, Jesus paid for our sin on the cross. So we believe that that salvation isn't by good works, it's by Christ, but How can Jesus say this? If you do not forgive others their trespasses, God the Father will not forgive you. So we'll get there, Lord willing, this morning. But I want to start here. What is forgiveness? I think it's good if we define this first. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is, according to Webster's Dictionary, to excuse for a fault or an offense, to pardon, to absolve from payment of. In the life of a Hebrew, forgiveness was illustrated by a debt being forgiven or being canceled so that the thing that you would owe someone would be written off and you would not owe them that thing any longer. There was a missionary in Turkey who kept a journal of all of the different ministries that he was a part of and and the work among the people. 
He had a general store that he ran, and that was the, the, the hub of the relationships that he had with the community. And people would come and buy things. Sometimes people would have money. Sometimes they wouldn't, and he would keep track of all these things, all these receipts in his journal. After he died, his wife believed that some of the people owed him some money. A lot of people, she thought. And they found his journal, and they opened it up, and they looked at the receipts, and so many bills in his journal were there, but on across the bills, the word forgiven was written on them. The wife thought that this wasn't fair, and she wanted to get more money out of it, so she brought it to court, and the judge said that what that man had forgiven, no court can make people pay. So forgiveness is removing the obligation that somebody has to you, maybe for a wrong that they have committed to you, releasing someone from that obligation to you, canceling their debt. Has someone hurt you here? Can you think of someone where there's an obligation to you, they've wronged you in a way, maybe in such a deep way that the years haven't even dulled the pain of that? Forgiveness calls on you to release them from the obligation. I forgive you. I harbor no ill will. You are forgiven. So let's look at three amazing truths from this passage, specifically verses 14 and 15. Truth number one. Ready? Truth number one. The first truth is this, that God can forgive you. That God can forgive you. Now that's implicit in this statement because it says, if you forgive others, then God will forgive you. God can forgive you of your sin. In Micah 7, verses 18 and 19, we read, Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant in his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and who hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Then in Jonah chapter 4, when God relents from punishing Nineveh. You remember Jonah, the story of Jonah? Jonah is called by God to go to Nineveh and to declare that their judgment is coming upon them. And, and, and Jonah runs from God. He doesn't get very far. He gets tossed about in a boat, and then he gets tossed into the water. And then what happens to him in the water? He is swallowed by a fish. Good. Don't say whale. It says fish in the text. And he comes then to his senses. He's on dry land again, and he goes to Nineveh, and he he proclaims God's judgment is coming. Unless you repent and turn from your sins, God's judgment is coming upon you. And guess what? The people repented. These wicked, evil people repented, and God spared them, and Jonah didn't like that. And Jonah says this in his prayer to the Lord. O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. That should be a prayer of praise, but instead for Jonah that was a prayer of anguish. For all of us who are sinners, 
what a blessing and that is to hear that God is a gracious and compassionate God who is slow to anger and abounding in love, who forgives us of all our iniquities. So now a few questions need to be asked. God can forgive us. Here's the first question. Well, and maybe you're asking this. Why do I need forgiveness? Why do I need forgiveness? I'm not that bad. Well, there's one powerful reason why we need forgiveness, and it is this. To escape the coming wrath of God upon our sin. Grab your Bibles and go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. How many people here are sinners? Let's just see your hands. So we're all sinners. There's none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3, verse 10. All of us like sheep have turned away, we've turned to our own way. We do our own thing. We are rebellious by nature. And the wrath of God is going to be poured out on our sin. Romans chapter 2, verse 5 and 6 says, But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when His righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each according to what He has done. So why do you need forgiveness? The big factor is because God's wrath is upon us. We're storing up wrath because of our sin. Hebrews chapter 2 says, how can we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? There is salvation. There is forgiveness. But, but right now, when we are lost in, in our sin, God's wrath is coming. It's His righteous wrath. It's His justice. And that is a good thing. Now, it's a bad thing when we think about ourselves. We don't want to think about righteousness and just, justice against our own sin. But when we look at the extremes... Then we start to see how it's a good thing. When we look at Adolf Hitler and World War II and the atrocities committed there, we, in our soul and in our deepest being, we believe that justice should be meted out to an Adolf Hitler. When we see a child molester who for years has molested children, in our deepest heart of hearts, we Long for justice. And the wrath of God is a good thing. It's a, a punishing thing that there, it, it must be made right. But when we look at ourselves, it's very hard for us to think that justice, righteousness against us is good. God's wrath is coming. God's wrath is coming upon all sin. I like what one scholar says that God is putting all things to rights. He's making everything right. But He can only do it by His justice. So why do you need forgiveness? To escape the righteous, the good, wrath of God. Now there are other things. There are secondary reasons why we need forgiveness. We, we need to be freed from sin in our life. We we need to experience true freedom that only God can give through forgiveness. There's blessing as we walk in His ways. 
There are so many good secondary things, but the overriding big factor is to escape the good and righteous wrath of God Almighty. Question number two. So what do we need to be forgiven of? What do we need to be forgiven of? Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we need to be forgiven of sin. And I want to talk about sin this morning in three different categories. Okay, Number one, original sin. Sin that we are born with. This is where we receive our sin from our parents and their parents and their parents before them. It's sin that originated in the garden with Adam and Eve. It's the doctrine of original sin that every person, every generation, everyone who was ever born is born with the stain of sin. I, I have three wonderful kids and Lord willing, they'll be in the second service here this morning. But even in little kids, little precious, uh, somewhat innocent children, there's the stain of sin. I remember my oldest, I remember watching this really particularly in, with particular interest for my oldest son. Um, when you get to the second and third, you, you're not as interested anymore. But for the first one, you're really interested in their little lives. And, and I remember him, Trey, my son, we telling him he liked to eat dog food. And we said, do not eat the dog food. And he was a year and a half, but he knew not to eat the dog food. We told him. And then we saw him, and he crawled over to the dog food. And he held his hand over the dog food. Then he looked up at me and smiled. Little evil child. (laughs) The stain of original sin. You say, well, the wrath of God is coming upon me for that? I didn't have any choice in that. That doesn't seem to be fair. Well, here's the second category. We need to be forgiven of sins of commission. Sins of commission, these are sins that you commit. It's the lying, it's the cheating, it's the gossiping. It's it's the stuff that we do out of our pride in our rebellious hearts, we do against God and against others. It's the lust. It's the things on a daily basis where you're tempted to do evil and you actually do them. So we have the original sin, we have sins of commission, then we have sins of omission. These are sins that we um, don't necessarily commit like sins of commission, but these are sins that uh, we know to do something and yet we do not do them. Look at James chapter 4, verse 17. Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James chapter 4, verse 17. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So you know that you should do something. It's, it's clear God's telling you to do something, and, say, and, and you say, no, I am not doing that. That is the sin of omission. You're in school, you're at recess, and all the kids are picking on the one person that always gets picked on. 
They're calling him names, or they're calling her names, they're pulling her hair, they're pushing him around, they're doing wrong things, and you know in that instant, in that moment, you should stand up for that kid. You should come into the situation and say, this is wrong, knock it off, leave him alone. But instead, because of whatever reason, because you don't want to be disliked by the other people, you don't want to get picked on yourself for whatever reason, you refuse to do the thing that you know you should do. You have committed sin. Your sin of omission. The third question then, we need to be forgiven. God can forgive. We need to be forgiven. But does God always forgive? Does God always forgive? In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is talking about forgiveness. And in Jesus' day, Uh, The religious leaders, the general teaching on forgiveness was that you would forgive someone three times. So that's what the Pharisees would say in Jesus' day. If someone does something against you that's wrong, it wrongs you, it hurts you, forgive them. They do it again, forgive them. They do it again, forgive them. Uh, But after that, write them off, don't forgive them, enough is enough, see you later. So... Jesus, of course, knows all things, but he knew this as as well as Peter. Peter, one of his disciples, he knows that this is the thought of the day, and he comes to Jesus in chapter 18 of Matthew, verse 21. He comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and, and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Peter says. So here's Peter. He's always kind of seen as the more brash one, the fiery one. He knows that the teaching of the day is three times, and so he doubles it, added one for good measure, and thinks Jesus is going to be impressed. How many times Jesus? Seven times? Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Or 70 times 7. The idea here is not the specific number of times that you forgive somebody, but is that you always forgive. So the Lord forgives for those followers of Jesus Christ. God's forgiveness is limitless. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You come to faith in Christ Jesus, your sins in the past are forgiven, your sins currently are forgiven, and your sins in the future are forgiven. There's no limit to God's grace and His forgiveness and His mercy and love. God always forgives There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, verse 1. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've bowed your knee to Him, your faith and your hope is in Him alone, that He died for you, He rose again, and He's coming again. Your hope is in Him, your sins are forgiven, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. And that's a promise for you. God always forgives, praise the Lord. And we are called to too. There was an article, a cartoon in the New Yorker. It had a picture of the prodigal son. Remember him? In the background, in the foreground, were the servants. And they were talking to one another. And they said, man, this is the fourth time this month we've killed the fatted calf. That's God. That's who he is. But here, fourth question. Maybe some of you are asking this. 
What about the unforgivable sin? I've heard about this unforgivable sin. I've heard that there's a sin that God won't forgive. And I just say, I don't believe that the unforgivable sin is for God's children. It's not for those who are saved. It's not for followers of Christ. The unforgivable sin is the rejection of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. And so if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, you're still investigating the claims of Christianity, it's wonderful that you're here. Praise God that you're here. But the Holy Spirit is going to start to do some things in your life. He's going to start to to press you certain ways. And if you continually resist Him, that's the potential of the unforgivable sin. It's not a sin where I can just go outside after the service and stub my toe and say something or do something and God's like, I'm not forgiving you. You're lost forever. No, the sin of that God doesn't forgive is a continual rejection of his spirit in your life. Second point then, God can forgive you. You can forgive others. You can forgive others. Jesus says, for if you forgive others. You can. In Ephesians 4.32, the Apostle Paul is writing, he tells Christians to practice forgiveness. He says this, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So listen, listen. This is real personal because you can forgive your husband. You can forgive your wife. You can forgive your brother. You can forgive your sister. You can forgive your neighbor. You can forgive your enemy. You even can forgive the person who killed your father. That's what happened with Sue Norton. Sue Norton is from Arkansas City or Arkansas City, depending on where you live, Kansas. She received terrible news during a phone call from her brother in 1990. Her father was dead. So was her mother-in-law. Sue's dad was shot to death in his isolated Oklahoma farmhouse. The crime netted the killer $17 and an old rusty pickup truck. The loss of her dad just broke her heart. She sat through the trial of Robert Knighton. He was the man who pulled the trigger. She was confused about the way she was supposed to feel. She sat through the trial and she said this as she recounts the tale, that everybody in the courtroom was consumed with hate. They all expected her to feel the same way, but she said she couldn't hate that way because it, it didn't feel right. Sue Norton, a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, knew that there must be another way. She couldn't eat or, or sleep the night before the end of the trial. She thought about her father who was just trying to help these guys and they killed him and she was filled with anger and, and, and hate, but also a sense of love and concern. She asked the Lord to help her. When morning came, she felt that the Lord was convicting her that do not hate this man. You can forgive him, she writes. The next day when the jury was out for deliberation on the fate of the killer, she got permission to visit this man, Robert Knighton through the bars of his jail cell. 
Sue relates, I was really frightened. This was my first experience in a jail. Robert was big and tall. He was shackled and had cold, steely eyes. At first, Robert refused to look at Sue. She asked him to turn around, and he answered, Why would anyone want to talk to me after what I have done? Sue replied, I don't know what to say to you, but I want you to know that I don't hate you. My grandmother always taught me not to use the word hate. She taught me that we are here to love one another, and if you are guilty, I forgive you. Robert Knighton thought that Sue was just playing games. He couldn't understand how she could forgive him for such a terrible crime. Sue says, I didn't think of him as a killer. I thought of him as a human being who needed Christ's love. Well, people thought that Susan had lost her mind. Here she was forgiving the person who had killed her father. And some of the people in her family began to shun her. She said this, I'm trying to display that there's no way to heal and to get over trauma without forgiveness. You must forgive and and get on with your life. This is what Jesus would do. So this Robert Knighton was on death row in Oklahoma. Sue began writing him letters and telling him about Jesus. She visited him often. At one particular visit, Robert Knighton prayed to receive Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord. Sue states that some good news has come out of the death of her father. She says this, quote, I've been able to witness to many people about Jesus and forgiveness and helped others to heal. I have brought Robert Knighton and many other men on death row to our Lord Jesus Christ. I live in peace with my Lord. She went on to start a prison ministry. She gave a, an eloquent speech before the parole board at his hearing as to whether they should put him to death, Robert Knighton, or not. They listened to her, but they came back united that he should be put to death in Oklahoma. He was put to death, executed at 6.32 p.m. Sue Norton, the daughter of the man who was killed, witnessed she was there for the execution. She had forgiven Knighton and befriended him on death row. Moments before his execution, Knighton told Norton, I'll see you again someday, and God bless you. Knighton also said he was very sorry for all the bad that he had done and asked for forgiveness. You can forgive others. God can forgive you. You can forgive others. Now here's the hard thing. The third thing, God won't forgive you if you don't forgive others. Now we come back to the hard question that was posed at the beginning. How can Jesus say these things if you do not forgive people their transgressions? Passes, neither will your Father forgive you of your trespasses. You must, Christian, you must as a kingdom person forgive others. You must. It is part and parcel of the new creation that you are. It might go against every ounce of feeling and emotion in your body, but you must. But you say, you don't understand what they did to me. You don't understand how he treated me. You don't understand the years of torture and pain that I've been through. You don't understand the feelings that I have, and I can't get over them. And you're right, I don't understand, because I don't understand and know your situation. But you don't understand. You don't understand the forgiveness that you've received in Jesus Christ. Because if you truly understood that, 
you would forgive. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean staying in a harmful situation where you're being abused or hurt. That doesn't, forgiveness doesn't mean you stay there. So we're not talking about that this morning. But forgiveness means you must come to a place you, where you release someone from the obligation toward you that resulted from a pain or a hurt or a trial. And if you can't come to that place, you do not understand the forgiveness God has given you. It was a great thing that Jesus did in accomplishing your salvation, in bringing about your forgiveness. Some 2,000 years ago, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he prayed, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. The thing that was going to happen. What was the cup that he wanted to be passed? It was the, the torture, the humiliation, the death. Yes, that. But it was the sin. It was all of your sin and my sin that Jesus would have to bear upon himself on the cross. That he would have to bear then God's righteous wrath upon himself. Payment must be made. And Jesus said, if this cup, if it's possible, let this cup pass. But not my will. Your will be done. And he went to the cross. And he was brutally tortured. And his hands were spread far and wide and nailed to the tree. And as they nailed his feet and his hands, what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And in his death, he proclaims, forgiveness for you from your sin. Three days later, he rose from the dead, conquering sin, death, and the devil for you. This is what happened at the cross. This is the gospel. This is the good news. My friend, if you believe the good news, if you understand the forgiveness and love of God in Christ Jesus, you can also forgive. Do you need to forgive someone this morning? I'm going to ask that you close your eyes and talk with the Lord here and do business with Him this morning. Heavenly Father, I ask right now, Lord, that You would bring to mind anyone that we must forgive. So now, just between you and the Lord, ask him, Lord, would you reveal anyone to me right now that I need to forgive? Lord, I ask that you'd bring that person to, to our mind, to my mind, Lord, now. I ask God for the grace to be able to forgive, to be able to release people from an obligation that they really do do deserve to us. But help us to forgive in the same measure that we've been forgiven in all things. Thank you, Lord, for your love shown on Calvary, for forgiving us of all of our sins, for removing our sin as far as the east is from the west, for not counting our sins upon us any longer. But Lord, giving us the righteousness of Jesus, Lord, help us to remember that. And as your people, help us to live that forgiveness out to others. 
God, we, we give you thanks for the relationships that you've given us and help us to flood those relationships with forgiveness quickly and often. For your glory, Lord, we pray, and we thank you. It's for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.